Welcome back to .NET Rocks show 1699. Richard, <laughs> should we tell everybody this is the last show? Yeah, we're done. <laughs> Thanks for playing. <laughs> it's not true. It's a lie. We already recorded 1700 because, you know, order is complicated. Well, we had six guests coming on 1700 and getting six people plus us onto a scheduled thing, not trivial. You know, what's really funny is that uh, it occurred to me that show 1700 is the first one that we've really done as a live stream by ourselves. We did one through NDC, yeah, of course. We've done a few things like that, but yeah, but this marks the beginning of live streaming .NET Rock shows for our patrons, patrons, and that patrons, uh, patreons. patrons. I never know what to say. I think they're patrons on Patreon. I think you're probably right. That yeah. sounds good to me. So if you are not a patron on Patreon, that's another reason to uh, to chip off five bucks a month or whatever you can to support us. In these trying times, do I sound pitiful enough? There you go. In these trying times. <laughs> anyway, uh, go to patreon.netrocks.com and become a member and get to hang out with us live. You, Yeah, it's a definitely a sausage being made experience. Yeah. Uh, because we don't we don't hide the plumbing there. We're working, right? We're trying to, we, it's the recorded show that sounds great, the finished show, but there's stuff that happens in between. Yep. All right, man. Let's uh, get a rolling with Better No Framework. Roll them. All right, buddy. What do you got? Well, every time I think I'm, you know, going dry on the Better No Framework department, I just go over to the AppVNX Slack channel. Sure. And I see that guys like Joel Hewlin and Brian McKay and those guys have have posted, you know, hey, have you seen this? And this came up. Joel sent this in. It's a Slack theme for Visual Studio Code. Oh, no. <laughs> if you're that much of a Slack fan that you want everything to be slacky. Should we just call it the hipster theme? Is that what we should do? <laughs> slacky whack. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there so, you go. So it's in the Visual Studio Marketplace. Um, just search for Slack theme, and I'm sure you'll find it. If that makes you happy, you know, it's your it's your desktop, it's your editor environment. Like, make it look however you want. But that I've seen. Look at the screenshots here. Okay, yeah, that really does look like Slack. It really does look <laughs> like Slack. The thing that would drive me nuts, though, is I would. Now, what app is this? Like, yeah. you take, I mean, at our age, you oh, know, you have to do a double take. Which we, app is this? You're not wrong about the just <laughs> so many Windows thing, right? Like, we, we're, uh, I, I'm starting to tailor my Windows terminal for exactly that, too. Am I in PowerShell right now, or is this a bash prompt? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't no, even know same. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Anyway, that's what I got, Richard. Who's talking to us today? Grabbed a comment off of show 1676, which we did back in February of 2020. I think we recorded it at NDC London, so it was actually January, you know, back when the world existed. <laughs> uh, and this is a show we did uh, with Christine Seaman talking about multi-factor authentication. And yep. uh, so, the comment is from Gary Reike, who said, I'm listening in and hearing about various factors of authentication. And I'd see that there's generally three categories of authentication in the security world. There's what you know, passwords and pins, what you have, a YubiKey or smart card or phone. And what you are, biometrics, face ID, thumbprints, that kind of thing. Any combination of these can make it multi-factor. 
And I'm not sure about the others, but I like Microsoft's Authenticator. It adds two additional factors to my login. First, I have to know my password to log in and get prompted to the Authenticator. Second, I have to have my phone, which has Authenticator on it. And finally, I use Face ID to confirm that it's me. So with that combination, you have all three factors of today's modern world. All right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I go back and forth on the whole face ID thing. Uh, but I don't know the thumbprints are necessarily better. I do like my YubiKey though. Uh, yeah. Just in terms of giving something, something physical to, uh, to secure yourself with. I got one right here. Yeah. Sitting on you, my desk. Your Yubi as well. Uh, I haven't installed it yet though. It, yeah. You know what? It takes some time to fuss around. My biggest thing that I do with YubiKey, what makes, it makes me the happiest is it secures LastPass. Right. Right. So that may, you know, I have a password manager and you have to have the YubiKey. I also have it set up properly with GitHub too, which is great. You know, the same thing. It's easy to authenticate to GitHub, protects those things. What I haven't tried to do is tie it into Windows because A, there are yeah. problems and B, if you screw that up, that machine is done. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks for playing. A little hesitancy. Yeah. So, you know, a walk, good thing. You, you tread carefully, but I have gotten comfortable with my YubiKeys and become a pretty good advocate of them as well. Yeah. So, Gary, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the social medias because we publish every show to Facebook. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. And as with everything, timing is key. <sighs> okay. You know what the secret to comedy is, Richard? What's the secret to? Have you ever asked? Have you ever asked me that? Yeah. Go ahead, ask me. Have we ever done that bit on Time- stage? Yes, yes, we have. Yes. <laughs> Timing. <laughs> yes. And uh, and a toast to Carl, the passing Carl Reiner, one of the best comedians that ever existed. Ah, uh, man. There are only there are people that are funny, and there are people that make other people funny. Carl Reiner made a lot of people funny, and that was his joke, wasn't it? It was either his or Mel Brooks. You know, I think it was, it's, it's yeah, it's him or, or Brooks. And of course, those two are inseparable. Right. But uh, Steve Martin wrote a great piece about uh, Carl Reiner that, uh, that really uh, got to me. You know, when Steve Martin says, that's the funniest and nicest guy you'll ever meet, it's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can't argue yeah, with yeah. that. There was a great um, photo that, Somebody showed of Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner and their spouses or family around with them. They were all wearing masks. And, uh, you know, they had T-shirts that said, wear a mask or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's good. It's real good. Good. All right. Well, let's uh, get this potty started. Uh, I would like to introduce two very special guests, Christos Matskas, who has been on the show before, and John Patrick Danderson or JP. So let me read his bio. Uh, JP has been building software for a while. In late 2010, he started working with Azure and quickly realized its great potential for developers. He's had many exciting roles, but since joining Microsoft, he's had the privilege of working closely with many high profile customers and building some truly exciting solutions. JP currently works as a PM for the Microsoft Identity Dev Advocacy Team where he focuses on the community and building a great identity platform for everyone. And uh, Christos Matskas is a software developer, a dad, a blogger, a husband, speaker, and all-around geek. He currently works as a developer advocate for Microsoft Identity, helping developers and teams leverage the power of identity and cloud. And before joining Microsoft, he was a successful entrepreneur 
collaborating with companies such as Mark IT, Lockheed Martin, and Barclays. He's been building software for over 15 years as of this uh, performance here, and he's a passionate open source advocate. He contributes regularly to open source projects, works closely with the developer community to make the space bigger and better. Welcome, guys. Welcome to you, Christos. Welcome back. Thank you for having me again. It's great to be here. And welcome to the show for the first time, JP. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Excellent. Hey, you know, I'm going to start this off by saying, you know, I've been doing a fair uh, amount of development lately, and a lot of it has to do with identity, and I'm using the ASP.NET Core identity uh, stuff in my Blazor applications, and it's working great. And I'm, I remember talking to Brock Allen about Identity Server. In fact, many times I've talked to him about Identity Server, both in person and Richard with Richard on the show. And it just, it always seems to confuse me in terms of, you know, what are the different things out there that I can use for identity? And do they differ by platform? Is there one to rule them all now? You know, what is the, what is the landscape of identity, uh, for lack of a better word, toolkits to use in your .NET applications or .NET Core apps? I think a lot of it depends on who's going to run it, right? Who's going to do it? And if you want to own that on your own, that's when things like identity server or even ASP.NET identity and membership databases, that's where they, that's where they sort of live. Um, and, if you want to own those user databases and manage resetting passwords and handling user profiles and that sort of thing, then uh, by all means, that's the place to keep it. Um, I think that now we're moving more towards a, a federated identity focus, right? Where people don't want to own necessarily usernames and passwords and give people net new accounts. They want to, they want to delegate it off to somebody else. They want to give it to somebody who, uh, who's already, doing that on a, on a big scale, someone like a Microsoft or a Facebook or a Google. Uh, so we're seeing a lot more focus on federated identity systems now. And the federated identity systems means just what you said. There, you, It's not your database to run, but you can just use APIs to check roles and set roles and and uh, do all of that stuff. Or do you? Do you just let do you let them take care of it? Like that's one thing that I'm that I'm always grateful to have a database for is role management, because I like to be able to uh, determine when somebody gets to be in a particular role, and to be able to set that. And I guess what you're saying is you can still do that in a federated system. It's just that you're not you don't own the database. That's true, and there's sort of almost like two different kinds of, of roles, right? And some of those roles might be born in the system that you're coming from. So you might have roles that are stored in an external system and those roles sort of flow down to your application, but you may also have application specific roles and those app specific roles. A lot of times you're still on the hook to hold those, your hold those on your own um, either in your own database or um, even in your own, whatever your own system looks like. Um, some customers have hundreds or thousands of apps. And so doing role management in each one of them would be a total nightmare. So instead they, you know, they t-shirt canon those common roles up to a, a centralized system like an Azure AD or uh, even just a centralized database that they run on their own. 
and then use that for for pulling them into their own apps. But when you're saying federated identity, you you mean the screen that says log in with your Google ID, log in with your Facebook ID, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and there's a there's a strong sort of line between authentication and authorization there too, right? Because um, there's a whole other side to that, which is, well, what if I want to access your Facebook photos and do work for you in your Facebook account or write to your OneDrive in your or write to your OneNote in your OneDrive, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, with a whole new set of roles and permissions that are typically managed by the the identity system that you're coming from. Which is a, which is a case for using that feature as opposed to, like, I've, I've certainly had the experience at, like, Humanitarian Toolbox where we were putting together a project and offered that feature, and people specifically avoided it because they thought, well, you guys are just beta software. I'm not associating my Facebook account with your beta software. I'll use right. a separate username and password for that. Which which is fine, right? I mean, yeah. if you are looking for that kind of solution, then um, giving the user the option. Uh, I, I tend to avoid using Facebook and Google accounts to sign into sites because, first, I can't remember which one I used and where. Yeah. So I, I always go down the username and password. Something like uh, Azure AD uh, Business to Consumer, BTC, is uh, it's perfectly fine for addressing this issue. So you can provide users the option to either use a social login or actually go and create a, a standard username and password to use with your application. Yeah, because there doesn't seem to be a lot of enthusiasm these days around social media account mapping like that. But I, I do appreciate... And the big thing being, like, if you don't have a Facebook account, logging with Facebook kind of tricky. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I think well, you, you guys nailed it when you said that, uh, you know, people aren't aren't really using those um social for social media accounts i'm wondering i'm wondering if a lot of that is because of you know there's been a lot of news of passwords being stolen and break-ins and things and you know if somebody if humanitarian toolbox is asking for you to create a username and password it's probably a lot less chance that they're going to get hacked than you know something like yeah, I think you can play that either way, right? In theory, Facebook's got better security people than HTBox. God, I hope so. But yeah, but um, but certainly the level of exposure is lower. I mean, the other side of this is if your Facebook account gets shut down for any reason, like that kills your access on yeah, these things right. that you've mapped to. Yeah, and then there's like the privacy stuff too. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, what kind of data is this app using about my Facebook account? Or what kind of data is it accessing and pulling back to itself, right? And vice versa. Yeah. So, I personally don't use social login for much unless it's something that needs to, you know, if I'm downloading an app that's going to, you know, help me find duplicate files in my OneDrive. Well, that's got to have access to OneDrive because right. that's its entire purpose. But yeah. for just generic, you know, generic apps that need a login, I just end up using a password manager and... Uh, yeah. Generating big ones. Yeah, once you and once you get comfortable with a password manager, and we should all be comfortable with password managers in this business for crying out loud. Like you just don't care that you made yet another username and password because they're all unique. I, I have actually found myself recently going through my last pass, sorting on last lo- last time I logged in with those credentials and saying, Hey, this is three years old. I haven't used it. That account could die. Mm-hmm. And clearly it's no longer important to me. So I would never consider, you know, if you've got an account you haven't used in three years, can you even remember it? The only reason I even knew it existed is because I have the password manager showing me, yeah, you haven't logged into this in that long. Yeah. I, I hope everyone's using password monitors. I don't even know any password these days. And oh, God forbid if uh, my Netflix, um, 
account gets reset on my TV because I'll spend half an hour trying to put the oh. 40 characters I have stored on my password manager. But uh, it just goes to show the power of these tools. You don't need to uh, know anything and you shouldn't know your passwords because the easier it is to remember, the, the easier it is to crack these yeah. days. It's just not, it's really not an option. We got to, we got to get there. But the, that being said, I do not want to roll my own username and password tool in my app. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's a dumb thing to do. If, but I should be able to take usernames and passwords. So like, give me a library that I have some confidence in that is really secure and is done correctly. And what's that tool? <laughs> what could that be? Could no, you, no, do you guys no, know? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, you're breaking up now. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the well, I think it's it's there's I guess there are a couple there are a couple different things to consider. Is one of how do we get the data? How do we generate the data? Right? How do we secure a password? Mm-hmm. Or how do we make sure that some user input is is cleaned and secured and appropriately? But then where are we going to put it? And I think that's the that's sort of the hard part is how do you how do you make that determination um, of the kind of thing that you're kind of thing you're looking for? Right. Um, and then where do you store it? Like, you know, we, we use a, something like Azure AD B2C uh, because B2C specifically handles storing those passwords right. and handling encrypting those passwords, salting them correctly. Um, and it gives me plausible deniability as a database or as a, as an application developer. Like, well, Microsoft said they secured my passwords correctly and I secured my access to that correctly. Uh, so now it's on them. It's on them as the, as the service provider to keep that database safe and keep my user, all my users PII safe in that database. Well, now right. you're talking about the real feature of the cloud. Is it somebody else's fault? Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Responsibility better than fault, but yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, as a developer, you want to focus on what really matters, which is actually implementing something and moving on to the next thing, the next task on your um, on your to do list. And identity is one of these things that uh, not like it's not particularly uh, fun to do, right? It's 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 a task. You have to go and implement identity in your app. You have to do it securely, and yet then you want to move on to something else. It's the so, worst um, kind of plumbing. It's the kind of plumbing when you screw it up, everybody's hurt. You, your customer, like it's bad. And yet it's still plumbing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. We spin our propellers on identity development all day long, but most people it's a, it's a task and a burndown list that they've, but it's a critical task. They've got to get right. And, uh, and there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole ton of good guidance out there. Um, because we can't expect every developer to be a security pro and know all of the ins and outs of token validation and I don't storing that much tinfoil, right? Like that's the problem is to be specialized in this is to really do nothing else. Like it's, there's so much to know. There's a reason we have experts, right? You, you can't keep this stuff in your head unless you're, that's all you do. Hmm. Yep. Correct. Yeah. For and sure. it, it's funny how, um, Within identity, like we, we try to uh, label uh, the identity developers. Lots of teams have tried to bring this kind of identity developer. But what we try to bring back to our division is that there's no identity developers out there. There are developers that implement identity into their solutions and then they move on to do something else and uh, something more fun or more exciting. So what we need to do is create this kind of onboarding and implementation um, uh, 
process that is very easy and very robust to work on without you needing to know every nitty gritty detail about protocols and tokens and what have you. So yeah. something wraps all the complexity behind a nice library and allows developers to do it securely without really having to become experts. Because to be an expert, as you say, you have to do this uh, day in, day out. And not everyone is as excited about security as we are. Well, also, it'd be, it's nice just to have a pattern, you know, to have a sample app and to have, uh, you know, a step-by-step, -step, here's what you do and how you do it. You know, even if it's not a turnkey kind of uh, all in, you know, encapsulated solution. Uh, I, I really learned a lot from, you know, just reading blogs and you're reading the documentation and go, going through the step-by-step -step process of adding identity to an existing app. Um, the, you know, it, it, protecting your application is almost analogous in this day and age to uh, wearing a mask, isn't it? <laughs> you really no, it's go not there, the law. Huh? It's like you guys, you know, you're, you're advocates for identity. You know, like people are advocating wearing a mask. It's not the law, but, you know, it's a really good idea. <laughs> well, I've been on vacation for the past month. And so we, because I live in South Carolina. And if anybody's been watching the news recently, South Carolina isn't really a good place to be. No. But um, I've noticed a strong correlation between lack of mask use and lack of sleeves on shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not causation, but, you know, the sleeves have gone somewhere. Apparently. Correlation, just with, a little. I don't know. <sighs> it's not, it, you know, it's funny and it's not funny. And, you know, I don't mean to laugh at anybody, anybody's. Um, oh, if, if you really want to create some grief, we could talk about shouldn't these both be laws? Ultimately, right? Like, uh, you know, you're not wrong there, Richard. That we should be mandating, like. You get fined if you start putting software out in the world that's not properly secured. Well, we got so far as to make HTTPS the law. More really. or less, but by, by convention. I mean, more or less it is. Troy Hunt's, uh, Troy Hunt's database is a sobering reminder of it can it can happen to anybody, right? Yeah, it's true. And how did it get to be so darn big? Like it's, yeah. But it, it's almost kessler syndrome like uh, kessler syndrome being the whole debris in in orbit and creates more collisions it creates more debris it's like now that so many passwords have been breached so many passwords are being breached like it, it's literally we're in this cascade now yeah it, it's interesting how um the lack of some kind of a standardization in our industry is um coming back to bite us mm -hmm. uh, especially as we as we generate more and more software out there um the, the possibilities of, of being breached or being hacked are uh, growing exponentially without software being released. But uh, uh, we find, uh, as I work with customers in the field, that security and performance are usually afterthoughts in the software development uh, world where um, companies and developers are rushing to push software out the door and uh, put it out there for users to start using. And then they go back and say, oh, you know what? This routine is not working well. It's slow. It's whatever. And then security... Not every company is as um, meticulous about testing software from a security perspective, especially, and they only do it as uh, you know as an afterthought or after something serious happens. And what we try to avoid here is, at least for user management, uh, let's not put the user data in a, in a place that can be easily compromised. Mm -hmm. So uh, something like Azure AD and Azure AD B two C can guarantee that by putting the onus on Microsoft to protect your data while you focus on making the rest of the application run as expected. Yeah, it's all about shared responsibility. 
You know, we, we ask you to maintain controls on your data, to maintain the access to your data. And if you do those things, we will make sure we come to the table with our side of the bargain, which is that we'll secure the physical access in the data centers. And we'll make sure that the, uh, the rules and the, you know, the roles and permissions that you've implemented are enforced by us and by our tools. So the, the shared responsibility of cloud gets a whole lot more important when we start talking about people's data and their identity data. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, honestly, like I don't want to store that stuff. I'll, I'd rather make it your fault. <laughs> Just give me the token so that I can, uh, you know, do the authorizations I need to do. So do I use Azure AD B2C directly or is there a third party? Like where does stuff like Auth0 and so forth fit into this? So they're, they are competitors to B2C. Okay. Uh, an, Auth, an Auth0 or an Okta, um, they offer identity solutions the same way that we offer one with B2C um, for, for consumer-facing apps. So if I'm a developer building an app, I've got a choice to make. Do I want to use an Auth0? Do I want to use B2C? Um, and luckily, since those are standards-based systems, B2C and Auth0 and most of the other ones that are out there, um, it makes it much, uh, as the developer, it makes it a lot easier to kind of swap between them, sure. right? Because you're using things like OpenID, OAuth 2, and most of the libraries that are baked into to ASP.NET Core, for example, and those are made for standards-based protocols. So if you're using a standards-based protocol and you say, I really like this one, or I tried this and I don't really like it, switching it out in some t- some cases is as quick as a config change. Nice. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just a different provider. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, it, in that sense, it sounds like it pays to experiment a bit at some point before we decide on a standard. It's like take a few of these out because they're really not all that different. And you, but the, you can see where the rough edges lie and what you like and what you don't like. Yeah. And I think a lot of that depends on your scenario because there are some things that we feel like we are really, really stellar at. Um, and there are some things that Auth0 is really stellar at and, and even some of the other providers. And so depending on what kind of, of integration with other systems you need and what kinds of identity systems you might have coming in and which ones need to go out to what kinds of apps and how you need to, you know, manipulate all those different uh, identities as they come in and add data, remove data, pivot data. Um, you may find one fits into your workflow better than the other. And uh, we'd certainly encourage you to experiment. Of course, we'd love it if you used our stuff, but uh, certainly encourage everyone to, to try it out. And, and not to blow our own um, trumpet here, but there, there are a lot of more things that Azure AD has to offer to uh, enterprises when they look into working with identity because there are things beyond authentication and authorization, which we tend to sometimes overlook or not really pay as much attention. But I always like to talk about the end-to-end integration. So if you are using Azure AD and if you are using Visual Studio, and then if you're deploying to Azure, then this tight integration is so well built into the tooling that um, you know I started adding managed identities and start managing uh, service principles for doing tasks and automatically we look at way beyond authentication authorization way beyond usernames and passwords and we start looking into how can you have a secure development lifecycle end to end when it comes to building software that runs on the cloud it doesn't have to be Azure it doesn't have to be Visual Studio but if you are using these tools, then the end-to-end integration is absolutely stellar. Hey, guys, uh, hold that thought for just a minute while we take a moment for this very important message. .NET Rocks is being sponsored today by Text Control. 
the company behind TX Text Control, a Microsoft Word-inspired document editor library and document processing engine for your applications. TX Text Control is fully customizable and programmable and is available for most platforms, including ASP.NET MVC, WebForms, WPF, and Windows Forms. Recently, they released their Angular and Node.js versions that allow the integration of WYSIWYG document editing into your web apps. TX Text Control really shines in applications that do mail merging and reporting, where Microsoft Word-compatible templates are merged with JSON data in the client, or pure server-side applications that create Adobe PDF documents. So, try TX Text Control for free and see the live demos at textcontrol.com slash demos. All right, and we're back. We're talking identity with Christos Matskas and John Dandison. And uh, I wanted to mention a tool that I have used in the past to, uh, you know, if I'm rolling in situations where I'm rolling my own uh, database that I've created from, you know, Entity Framework on uh, uh, ASP.NET Core Identity, it creates an auth database for you. And, um, you know, there isn't, there, you have to use the managers, uh, the user manager and, uh, all of this stuff to, and the role manager. But if you want some UI to just change roles and, uh, add people into roles and whatever, there's a community project at, uh, github.com slash mguinness, Guinness like the beer. And it's called Identity Manager UI. Uh, and I think it actually started as something that Brock Allen wrote. And then, uh, got, you know, the community picked that up and, uh, then he went on to do, to work on identity server. But it's a very simple, um, ASP.NET Core project that you simply point to your identity database and then you can, you know, edit users and roles and all that stuff. Again, don't roll your own, right? Use the libraries that are out there. Yeah. That's cool. And Christos, you, we were talking about this and you said that there's uh, some new stuff in .NET Core 3.1 for uh, managing auth and authentication authorization. Yeah, with uh, Azure AD. We announced that build the, the new library called Microsoft.Identity.Web. It's our new iteration of our authentication library, uh, which can be used with either Azure AD or AD B2C. And the whole idea of creating this library was to simplify and hide all the complexities of adding authentication to your solution and then implementing authorization on the back of that. So it's the next iteration. It's going to be uh, uh, integrated into our templates in Visual Studio and .NET Core and .NET 5 will, will be, I think, our, our GA launch for the library. So November timeframe, if everything uh, is going according to plan. Cool. But if you are building uh, solutions today with uh, ASP.NET Core 3.1, then uh, you should be using this library. All our samples have been updated to use this library. Great. And you don't have to be using uh, Azure AD, do you? Or do you? You do. You for do. this one, you do. Okay. Because, uh, you know, uh, what usually gets people confused is the fact that uh, ASP.NET Core comes with its own uh, identity manager and identity solution. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, what you mentioned, what you, lots of people have used in the past. Yep. What we try to encourage people to do is to uh, to move that authentication to a delegated solution. Yeah. And uh, this library makes the transition super smooth and super easy. Ah, okay. Very cool. Worth checking out. Yeah. yeah I think if you if you had implemented Azure AD login or B2C login before in ASP.NET, 
um, or an ASP.NET Core, there were there is sort of a, a bifurcated experience. So on the one side, you used the uh, ASP.NET identity libraries for things like ad authentication to get um, to you know, configure OpenID Connect to use Azure AD. Mm-hmm. And then we told you, oh, but you need a token to talk to the Microsoft Graph or to talk to some other service that you've built that uses Azure AD. And now you've got to go download MSAL and you've got to integrate MSAL and figure out how to share tokens and get a new token from Azure AD. And that was, uh, that was pretty confusing. And identity web, identity.web aims to, uh, sort of streamline and pull both of those into a single, into a single library so that your interaction with ASP.NET for authenticating a user and writing a cookie to their box and fetching tokens as that same user to go and use with Microsoft Secured Services um, is a better experience and easier to use. The the only th- issue I have with the AD BDC thing is is like you have to commit to Azure at this point, and if you're already using Azure, it's hard to use anything else. Like it seems foolish. You're already in the ecosystem, but I don't know that it's the thing that would bring you into Azure. Like if you're hosting a website somewhere else, do you have many customers that are then saying, Hey, I'm going to use Azure B2C as a, as my authentication strategy. I think what we see more of is a migration strategy that may involve Azure Mm -hmm. where it might be on prem today. It might be in a cloud somewhere. And part of the overall modernization includes moving away from a password database, for example, into something like a B2C. Um, And so they say, oh, well, you know, we're going to go to Azure to host our new app, or maybe we're not, but we're we're, we're certainly considering going to Azure for our new app. And one part of the modernization of that is going to be the identity stack, and we should should use B2C for that. Um, You know, Azure AD and and B2C, they're kind of, uh, they're interestingly named because they're neither Azure nor AD (laughs) uh, in the traditional sense. Um, so, you know, we don't care where your app is hosted. Yeah. I mean, you could use, use either one. Um, but sure, it's certainly part of a migration path that we see is, is migrating over. Um, and we have some customers who have super sensitive apps that for one regulatory reason or another must stay in their data center right. or stay in a, you know, in a very specific geographic location. And they've already got a colo and that's where they host the, the physical servers that are going to run it, but they're using B2C so they can, delegate some of that responsibility downstream to us. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, it, it, certainly there are use cases for it's your website on your hardware, but you use Azure B2C to do the authentication. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not the, the, the common scenario. The common scenario is it's all in Azure. I, I'd say it's, I'd say that's fairly common. Um, you know, one whole other side to that is the non-consumer facing side of the enterprise line of business developer who's building apps for internal use and, and, you know, and I've done .NET for 15, 16 years now. So I feel like I could say this with some, uh, some degree of authority, but uh, I, at least as a .NET developer was spoiled because I would write an app and say user.identity.name. And because it was running on a, on IS on a windows server in a domain joined environment, everything sort of just worked. It just worked. It was voodoo, straight up voodoo, right? You didn't need to know anything. Total magic. I don't know how it was set up. I don't know how they did it, but it works. And I know who you are and I can see your groups and your membership mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. And now we're migrating to these web-based systems that, um, that share a lot of, of sort of commonality and, and how they work. But under the hood and particularly for a developer, it's a dramatically different experience. Like, wait a minute. You're telling me. Well, you have to I've own a, a lot more of the identity problem now, which you never needed to when you're living in IIS land with Active Directory. That's right. 
That's right. But the, I mean, that being said, if the organization is moving towards Azure and they've activated Azure AD, so they still have an on-prem Active Directory infrastructure, but they're also tied to Azure AD. And so now you can use Azure AD for your cloud-based uh, authentication and get pretty close to the same experience we once got with IIS and AD. That's right. Especially with, uh, especially if your line of business app is only run by users who are, you know, in your network yeah, in or your have user accounts with you. Yeah. It's, combined with things like hello and seamless single sign-on, uh, most of like the corporate apps that I go to, for example, every day, I never really see an authentication window at all. No. I get redirected a couple times and I'm in. But you also, and you've also author- offloaded all the authorization problems because that's done through the existing infrastructure and password changes and, and onboarding, offboarding, like all of that is handled through Azure AD. So, but you're that's back right. to that happy yeah. land where you just didn't have to think about a bunch of stuff as a dev. Mm-hmm. And my IT administrators can feel comfortable that they've secured access to the apps correctly mm-hmm. and that they're only sharing correct data and that sort of thing. And that's that's sort of managed by them. Um, and I, as a developer, I just I've got my app. It's registered in Azure AD and we request permissions to various things and and we get them and our users sign in. And to them, it doesn't feel any different than signing into Office 365. Right. And, and as an yeah. IT guy, I'm gleeful that you did set up another database with a bunch of passwords in it. Thanks. <laughs> really appreciate the good right. Lord. And, and <laughs> if we, if we roll the clock back maybe three, four months ago when the whole COVID and remote work kicked in, right? It, it was people that were already using Azure AD suddenly were presented with a huge amount of options to allow their employees to move to a remote setup without really having to go through, uh, you know, rolling new solutions and new tools. So, for example, um, setting up conditional access for uh, users to be able to access uh, apps, on-prem apps and single sign-on, uh, allowed IT admins to quickly do that without really having to change the code, without really having to, to do anything insane, uh, without really having to rewrite apps. So, With not, uh, you know, not requiring to the, authenticate through the VPN, for that matter. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we, we saw companies that were relying on VPN because they didn't have that many users um, logging remotely. They would have a, a few, maybe per day suddenly, you know, they went from a couple of hundred to a few thousand. Suddenly their VPN solutions could not scale as fast, so they had to throw more hardware there. Uh, with, with Azure AD, that, that did not uh, present as, a, as an issue for our customers. So, uh, again, we saw a, a massive explosion of people trying to move their apps as quickly as possible in their uh, identity providers being Azure AD yeah. from using on-prem solutions. So th- there are, um, especially with the new reality now, I think um, we are seeing a continuous effort for people looking at Azure AD and AD B2C as the, 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 the way forward for them to be able to scale and be able to serve their uh, customers and their users' needs. The term we're using on Run As Radio is the hybrid workforce. I don't know that I'm in love with it, but it's just sort of embracing the idea that the majority of your workers are going to work at home and occasionally at the office. And that's just what you, you have to be able to, to treat them essentially the same regardless of where they are. Yeah. 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 I mean, we heard, we heard of customers who had to timeshare VPNs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. get together and say, okay, I'll join, I'll join the VPN from, you know, noon to two. And then I'm going to get off because I've got these other things I need to do either because of licensing or bandwidth yeah. restrictions. Just because, if you had a you hardware know, based VPN, you were in big trouble because there was just no more hardware to buy. You know, the funny part is that yeah. like the Microsoft solution, which were software based VPNs, like direct access stuff, people just repurposed a bunch of, uh, of VMs, 
right? They set up more VMs and scaled out their direct access because all it does more compute on existing machines. It's like, hey, we're going to turn off a few of these things because you guys aren't here anyway and scale the VPN that way. And then they hit the network bottleneck was the next crisis. But yeah, if you were using Cisco Connect, you couldn't buy a Cisco Connect piece of hardware in April. There was none. They were sold. Wow. I can't believe it. I mean, it took Christos three months to buy a decent webcam. So. <laughs> yeah. Now it was it was tough on the eye. If you had stuff already in the pipeline, you had a fairly good chance of getting it. If you were just placing orders at the beginning of April, you haven't gotten it yet. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's a very interesting. Like the cloud saved our bacon anywhere we that we were able to scale because we just harnessed generic compute. We, that's what we did and, and where we needed on-prem compute. Like I, I was talking to folks that were offloading workloads from on-premises up into the cloud so that they could scale their VPM on-premise to take those machines over and stand up like direct access uh, uh, VMs to be able to, to keep going. I, I don't even want to think what would have happened if this thing um, occurred maybe 10 or 12 years ago when yeah, a lot most more of the infrastructure wasn't there. Well, and knock on flipping wood, the, the cloud does not tip over. Like everyone still has pretty good confidence in the cloud right now, but it doesn't take that much to shake that. Indeed. But I, and, you know, I've spent enough time in IT work, guys. The, I know there's a bunch of guys down in the plumbing of Azure land right now sweating, working hard to keep <laughs> that stuff healthy. Like that is hard work to get that much gear running. Mm-hmm. And especially, especially, and these are big bandwidth applications like Teams. Yeah. So you got 50 people on a call and half of them are sharing video. And um, I know in our division, we've been, everybody's encouraged for video, you know, so we can see each other. And granted for me, I've always been a remote employee. So I know when the camera should and shouldn't be on. But um, a lot of the folks who are, who are in Redmond on a regular basis, you know, people who are state, worked out of an office every day, you know, they're, they're suddenly home. And a lot of that face to face is gone. And, and, um, I can't imagine with the size that teams swelled, uh, just trying to keep up with that demand. That's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we, I feel pretty good that we've gotten to the place we have so far. Like in some ways, it's like the storm is, we've gotten through the storm. It's not over yet, but we're kind of got our feet under ourselves now. But it is interesting. I think for folks listening that are, are looking at repurposing and, and, and maturing apps and thinking through identity solutions around that. It's like, what, what does this really take? You know, I opened the show with that multi-factor conversation and we haven't really dug into that, but I guess it's a natural perk of using these pro frameworks, irrespective of which one. They're all good with MFA. Oh, for sure. Yep. You get it for free. You don't have to, to do anything other than your um, IT um, person just switching on the the multi-factor authentication and enforcing it across the, the apps or the solutions. Yeah. And as a developer, you don't really have to change the code. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to implement MFA screens. You don't have to implement services and servers to send you know codes to your developers. It's built into the solution. So um, again, you get a lot of things for free that you don't have to think about upfront as a developer when you move on to the next task. Yeah, it's awesome. I have a question to ask you guys. Maybe you, you know, if I could just indulge my own personal interests for a minute, I don't know. Somebody out there might be having the same issue. You um, using ASP.NET Core Identity, you have the situation where you're setting roles based on things that happen, like an email confirmation, for example. Let's say you send somebody an email confirmation when they get it. You want to, you know, call an API that uses the 
the user manager and the role manager and you add them to a role and all that's good, but now it requires them to log out and log in again rather than um, changing the current uh, login token. I'm using Jot tokens for this and uh, instead of cookies or anything else. But it just, you know, requires like the whole sign-on process requires, please log in again, you know, so that those roles get applied. Mm -hmm. Is there any sort of shortcut for for that kind of scenario? Well, so part of why that happens is how that that sign-in progresses, right? So once we've, you've signed in somehow. Yeah. Username, password, external system, you know, whatever. Um, And at that point, you know, we've, created the principle we've written the cookie and it gets shot down to your box. And then the rest of your communication with the web app is using that cookie to say, okay, we think you are. Um, and so that opportunity, right when we sign in the user, that's our opportunity to say, Hey, we need to add some additional claims to this user, which we get from a database, or we're going to pull off of the third party that they signed in with like an Azure AD or anything yeah. else. Um, and stuff those into the cookie. Um, so one option, which isn't really the best option, uh, would be to check those users' roles uh, in the, you know in a database manually <laughs> every time they come back because you'll know who they are based on what's in their what's in their authentication cookie. But right. that's going to get pretty chatty pretty quickly. Um, there are some options for uh, adding claims to users. After they after they've already signed in, mm-hmm. uh, I believe it's in the user manager where we can add some claims to them. Yeah, I've done um, that. And the the issue for that is that because I think it's because that all of my claims are in the Jot token, I have to now send that token back to the browser and uh, have it stored and have it applied, just as you would with a login process. Like you, just because you've added it to the database doesn't mean that the the current user's login reflects those claims. Yeah. 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 I think that's, um, I think it's fact I think it's a side effect of how it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a side effect of how the, of how those claims get stored. Right. For recurrent, for subsequent requests of a log out and a log, re-log in. There may be, uh, there may be you know, some mechanisms to do it where you, you know, send some piece of data back with the user and then use it as kind of like a one-time uh, one-time code the next time they come yeah. in to sort of silently sign them in again. But um, that that's probably a little hacky. <laughs> yeah, and I've them. done some of those things too. But I think you're you know it's probably <laughs> it's probably a good thing that I have that they have to log in again rather you know than have some sort of shortcut available because that just opens the door to you know changing the the claims without actually having to log in. Yeah. I think we're surprisingly forgiving for security, you know, sort of UX blunders. This is harder than it needs to be Mm. at times. I mean, I have, I have the unfortunate situation of having two sort of prime, at least I have multiple identities, but at least a couple of primary ones. And every time I have to switch between them in teams, it actually upsets the whole machine. Like the machine now, now the window starts barking at me about, we need to reauthenticate this and that and this and that. And I'm like, or I could just switch back to the identity and it goes away because I don't need to do any of these things. But it, it, you know, it's just identity is propagated a little too far into windows, especially depending on the piece of software that's, that's calling it. Well, and it's what identity and what claims and who's using it and who's looking at it. Like maybe teams should have a, not a system jot, 
you know? Yeah. Like why, why teams should affect my, the perception of my identity to the rest of windows yeah. seems terribly flawed, but it may be just the way that things are built. Yeah. I think it's, I think some of it's a desire to give that same kind of experience as what you get on prem. Yeah. Uh, so you have things like Azure AD join and that drops a, you know, primary refresh token on your box and that's used to sort of try to silently sign you in, but the apps have to be aware of it. And once an app's aware of it, it can be kind of hard to unwind it, Yeah, you know, um, because now Windows suddenly says, oh, I know who you are and I've got this extra token that's stored about you and I communicate to Azure AD on your behalf. And so things, when you're all with one identity, it's great. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure it's more than the 80% case, right? That the vast majority of people live with an identity. And, and so it's just not that big of a deal. And the fact that I'm a freak show is not that you know, big of a surprise. And so, yeah, okay, I have to struggle through this weirdness. And I'm, and I'm the less panicked than most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think one work and school account and one uh, like MSA or, or consumer account, that's, that's sort of the mode that I'm in. Like I've got a bunch of work and school accounts, but I yeah. explicitly have not connected them to Windows just to prevent. Yeah. It's, and it's an interesting point. It's like now you have this subtlety of unwinding. Hey, whenever I use this team account, I'm, I'm only ever going to use it in a browser or something like that. But that's, I don't know how the heck we communicate that to normal mortals, right? Just, just no, like, this is too complicated do. for them still. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I think we have, um, like things like edge profiles make it easier. But I mean, I'll be honest, like my, you know, my siblings and my parents are not using edge profiles because no. they're like, I don't even know what edge is. Yeah. I just go to the internet and it works. Right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And when I can't find that icon, then the internet is broken. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And then, I, and then I need to pull out my phone and text John and say, why does the internet why work? Why doesn't the internet work? He says, well, I turned it off this week. I'm not happy with you. That's why. <laughs> my children got to a point where the only reason the internet didn't work is they hadn't done their chores. You know, the day, the day that a truck backed into the pole out front of our house and took down the three redundant internet connections. And so there really was no internet in the building. They didn't look outside. They came downstairs and said, what did we do? You know, <laughs> it's really funny that there's a, something going on in my life right now that has a direct uh, correlation to what we're talking about. And that's my mother says, hey, I don't know what happened, but whenever, and you know, Grandma Franklin, um, she, uh, doesn't know too much about computers. Like, you know, I have to, I have to go over there when she can't find something or, or whatever. But she says, um, anytime I log into Windows now, it's got, you know, my helper assistance, uh, photo on it. And, you know, it's still my name and password, but, you know, she's, she hires help, right? And the helper assistance photo has been there for like a couple of months. So I go in and I look at the account and the email associated with the account is her helpers. And I'm like, what is going on here? But it's her name and password, right? And her, the name on her account is, hasn't changed. Near as I can figure, the helper like installed Office or something and then uh, associated Office with her account so that it would work, you know? But I had to, I couldn't figure out how to change it because there didn't seem to be any way. So I actually had to blow, copy all her files off, blow that account away and create a new account with her name. And so now she can't find anything because, you know, I put everything back on her desktop, but all her, you know, her uh, shortcuts are gone. Not her shortcuts, but yeah, her bookmarks. Like she, 
you know, and, you know, how do I find my email? And I said, well, open Chrome. And she goes, where's that? And I actually had to go, <laughs> I actually had to go to, to the web and get an image of the icon of Chrome and send it to her. <laughs> say, look for something <laughs> like this. <laughs> I think the best thing for my, for me and my parents since, uh, since Windows 10 is that Skype is built in. So I can just tell my dad, look for the S, call me, and then you can share your screen with me. So I don't have to walk him through downloading like some random screen sharing app whenever he needs Yeah, that's stuff. a good idea. Yeah. As much as I, as I have to admit that we work for Microsoft, I think uh, for all their parents, like my parents, we, we bought iPads. Everything is built in. There's no maintenance. There's no support. For better or they worse. Find, I can tap it. It works. So it was, it was a blessing because up until that point, the amount of remote assistance that we had to do was insane. Yeah. It wasn't worth the effort. I, so. I actually tried that. Um, <laughs> and uh, her, her uh, uh, I guess you could call him my stepdad, but they never really got married. But her boyfriend um, has an iPad and he uses it. But she really wants the desktop because she listens to music and she has a scanner and she's like all of the, uh, yeah. So anyway. I did try the... Windows 10 quick assist thing, which I didn't even know that was a thing until I did it the other day. And it actually worked really well. Like you give your, you give the person a code, they type it in and then your screens are connected. You can help them out. Ah, so it's pretty I neat. Like it's probably later versions of Windows 10. Yeah. I'm going to try that today. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks for being my tech support guys. <laughs> well, yes, I, I'm on vacation in Michigan. Uh, my in-laws and they have, their internet is uh, comes over. It's like all wireless because they're they live in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and uh, it goes down about eight p.m. every night. And so my six year old comes to me and he says, "Dad, I don't I don't know what's wrong with the internet, but I'm ready to go home." And, uh, <laughs> 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 well, guys, uh, it's been really great talking to you, geeking out over identity and off and off, as it were. Uh, any last minute plugs or things that you want to tell people? Calls to action. Yeah, we do uh, actually uh, um, tweets uh, quite a bit these days. So you can uh, you can find us on tweets if you want at the MSID Dev. Uh, we do two shows a week. Um, sometimes we do hard code coding and try to solve problems. And we have office hours on Thursdays. So uh, feel free to check us out and uh, come and ask questions if you have any problems. We would love to uh, help with challenges so we're always open for questions excellent uh john got anything you want to add uh no i think the the, the twitch stream is a big a big part of what we uh, what we've been working on we did a uh, migration last week for of an app from adal to msal since uh, adal was just announced its impending deprecation which was one of our our previous libraries for using azure ed so uh yeah come and check out the stream we'll, we try to keep it relevant and uh keep what we hear from people who are out in the field doing work every day and uh, bring us your questions. Excellent. Uh, Christos, John, thank you very much again for being with us today on .NET Rocks and we will see you, ladies and gentlemen, next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios. 
a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.